This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode, we have questions from Emmeline, Tim, Susanna, Amy, and Stephen. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Emmeline. She asks, If everyone knew that swearing by the temple wasn't binding, why did people accept that kind of oath instead of extracting an oath by the gold of the temple? This question was inspired by Jesus' teaching on oaths, which we looked at in a sermon called True Commitment. Now, in that sermon, I mentioned the passage in Matthew 23 where Jesus gives examples of how the Pharisees would split hairs about what oaths needed to be kept and which ones could be broken. If you swore by the temple, for example, the Pharisees taught that that oath could be broken without any problem. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, then you were obligated to keep your oath. So, Learning all of this, Emmeline has a very practical question. If people knew that you could break an oath that was sworn on the temple, why would they ever accept an oath like that? Couldn't they just say, no, you have to swear by the gold of the temple so that I know that you have to keep your promise? Well, yes, actually, they could, assuming that they knew the fine points of the law. But that is exactly the point. Only a person with that insider knowledge or a person with enough money to hire people with that knowledge would be in a position to hold you to your word. That means that you would be free to take advantage of people who didn't know the details of the law or couldn't hire a fancy scribe to represent them. The same thing happens today. Our laws are so complicated that the average person can't always be sure whether or not the contract they're signing is good. If you aren't a lawyer or you don't have the money to hire one, then it's easy to take advantage of you. Jesus is saying basically that you may be able to take advantage of people legally, but you cannot do it righteously. Now, this leads us to our second question, which is on the same topic. This question comes from Tim. He wants to know, why did the Pharisees play around with oaths? Well, my answer to the last question probably hints at the reason that the Pharisees played around with oaths, but I'm going to spell it out. They did it for the same reason that human beings always do things like this. They wanted the freedom to do bad things while telling themselves and telling the world that they were good people. It's a funny thing about human beings. Even when we do terrible things, we don't like to admit that we are terrible people. The greatest villains in human history have always pleaded that they were basically good, even morally upright, and that either their actions were misunderstood or their reasons justified the evil that they felt they had to do. Oftentimes, they blame not themselves, but the people they hurt for the pain that they inflict. Now, Jesus says that this isn't the right way to see your own sin. Instead of doing bad things and trying to justify them, 
you must admit that your misdeeds are wrong and repent of them, asking God for forgiveness. Now, the Pharisees weren't doing that. Instead, they were bending and twisting the law to justify their sin. And that should be a lesson to us, because we are tempted to do exactly the same thing. And now it's time for the big question, which comes this week from Susanna. Let's give Susanna a round of applause. Here's Susanna's question. If someone is supposed to turn the other cheek, does that mean that people should not want civil rights? She gives examples of women or African-Americans, but I think people in general have rights that they want to protect. Is it wrong for them? to want to protect those rights. Well, when it comes to thinking about our rights, there are two easy directions that we can go. One direction is to say, of course, our rights are important. And if Jesus says something that makes it sound like we should give up our rights, then he must be wrong, or at least we aren't understanding him correctly. The other direction that we could go is this. You know what? Christians, especially in America, are way too concerned about defending their rights, and it keeps them from seeing that Jesus calls us to be self-sacrificing. Instead of insisting on our rights, we should be willing to let others advance their interests ahead of ours. Both of those perspectives do have a point. Yes, we have to understand Jesus in context— And turning the other cheek doesn't mean that we cannot have civil rights or protect those rights. In the Roman Empire, of course, they didn't have the kind of political rights that we take for granted. But there are analogies. Perhaps the most famous example in the New Testament is found in Acts 22, when Paul reveals the fact that he is a Roman citizen, which means his Roman captors have to treat him with more respect and allow him to appeal his legal case to Rome. So we see Paul taking advantage of his civil rights. But he does this for the sake of advancing his ministry. It's not a selfish stance, but a serving one. Now We can draw the conclusion that you can exercise your rights, as Paul does, and still turn the other cheek, that it's not inconsistent with Christ's teachings, to exercise the rights that you have. And I think we can go farther than that. In the context of our republic, exercising and protecting the rights of citizens is a way of serving others and the greater good. Remember, our Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. In other words, our equality under the law and our possession of rights that no government can take away is grounded in the fact of God's creation. He made us equal, and he granted rights to us that government, which is instituted by God, has a duty to respect and defend. One more point that's worth emphasizing. When Jesus gives examples in Matthew 5 of turning the other cheek, of giving your cloak to the person who sues for your tunic, of going the extra mile, these are all acts of generosity on the part of the person who is in the right. Those people are not being compelled by force to go along with it. Jesus doesn't say, I think we should rewrite the legal code so that when you're wronged, you just have to take it. 
Instead, he's saying that even though you don't have an obligation to take it, you should be willing to endure injustice with generosity. So Jesus is presupposing that you have a right not to be slapped or unjustly sued or conscripted, and that you have a right not to hand over money to people asking to borrow or beg from you. It's just that a righteous person responds in generosity to those impositions and is willing to set aside his rights for God's glory. Let me try to summarize Our rights are God-given, and there's a proper place to exercise those rights. Respecting the rights of others is important, too. It's one of the ways we serve them. But God calls us to look beyond our own rights and to be willing to humble ourselves and endure, just like Jesus did on our behalf. Of course, that still sounds pretty complicated, and there's a reason. It's not as easy as just saying, well, the right thing to do is always to surrender your rights, or the right thing to do is always to defend your rights. And the reason that it isn't that simple is because we live in a fallen, sinful world. Jesus is showing us what perfect righteousness really looks like, and it's a lot harder than we thought to live in perfect righteousness. If we were really going to follow the law and be perfectly righteous, that would demand a generosity in the face of injustice that seems impossible to live out. And really, that's the point. Jesus is showing us a picture of something that only he will be able to do. You cannot show the perfect generosity seen here because of your own sin. So you need Jesus to show it for you. And that's what he's done for us on the cross. But because he's done that, we who believe in him also have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us so that more and more we can follow him. So we should strive to live up to his example even when it seems impossible because the Spirit sometimes gives us the ability to do more than we ask or think. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, Amy wants to know, what did you name your cat? Well, Amy, we like to give all of our cats fancy names because cats have very aristocratic personalities. Because it's kind of funny to give a tiny, furry animal a big, impressive name. We once had two cats that we named Hugo and Clive. We took in a stray cat once and we named him Horatio. Then we had a little cat who wasn't with us too long, and we named him Genghis after the famous conqueror Genghis Khan. Our new cat is a girl, so we had to come up with a girl's name. We call her Tilda, which is short for Matilda, and sometimes we call her Tilly for short. And guess what? We're going to get another cat soon so that Tilly can have a little brother to play with, and our plan is to call him Georgie. And now Stephen asks, what is your favorite church in Sioux Falls? Stephen, that's a good question. I'm going to pause for just a moment and give you all a chance to guess the answer. Three, two, one. I hope you've guessed. The answer is Grace. Grace is my favorite church in Sioux Falls and in the whole wide world. That's probably not too surprising. But now that I've said that, let me add one thing. We should be grateful for every church. God is at work in the world, not just at grace, but all around us. 
In Sioux Falls, there are other Presbyterian churches just like ours. We do our youth group together in cooperation with one of them, Living Hope. And there are other churches that are outside our denomination but share our Reformed faith. And there are churches that follow Jesus beyond that too, and we're grateful for them. It is good to love your church. And it's good to love all the churches too, and to lift them all up in prayer. And to remember that we are all joined together in faith. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.